Shalom, brothers and sisters. Shalom. We have a detailed lesson prepared for the brothers and sisters worldwide. Today's lesson will be called The Protocols of Marriage. We're going to go into some biblical literature in regards to what the Hebrew or the Hebraic marriage consists of, brothers and sisters. In order to to do that, you must learn ancient culture and forget everything you know about modern marriage ceremonies. It doesn't line up with the Bible, brothers and sisters. Today, we will cover the Hebraic protocols of marriage. Unlike Western marriage practices, brothers and sisters, the Hebrew marriage has a greater degree of formalism involving numerous steps. Hebrew marriage includes a number of steps. You have number one, you have the contract or the marriage proposal, the term of agreement. Then you have what is called the betrothal. And after you have the betrothal, you have the feast, the feast that comes with the wedding, brothers and sisters. Now, the contract is the beginning stage or the, the, the terms of agreement. A groom would travel to the home of his beloved, you know, her, her father's home where she lived at and negotiated what's called a bride wealth or bride price terms of agreements in which he had to pay whether it would be money or land or labor. Right, brothers and sisters? And it's usually because the family of the groom has gained, while the family of the bride has lost a valuable member who would help with household tasks. So it was reasonable, therefore, that the father of the groom should pay the father of the bride the equivalent of the value of her usefulness within her family, brothers and sisters. So, you know, a a, a groom would have to prove his worthiness as a suitor that he's capable capable of adequately providing for his bride. So that's the first step. And then you have the betrothal, brothers and sisters, where the groom gives a gift to the the family, uh, to, to his, his wife-to-be and the father. Um, during this time, the groom is separated from his bride. So he leaves and goes back to his home. And it's usually um, up to a year in between that and the ceremony. And once it's consummated, brothers and sisters, you would have the feast, which goes up to seven days, brothers and sisters. You know the Most High's day is number seven. So then you would have a seven-day feast a lot of times. Because why? Families. It was an agreement of families. They were getting to know each other. Sometimes family can't make it on one day. Yeah, yeah, I'll make it tomorrow. So you had a seven-day, you know, a seven-day celebration of the two families joining. So we're going to go through it all today, brothers and sisters, um, in order to understand the significance between the church being Christ's bride, we must have the understanding of what the, the Hebraic marriage was, what it consisted of. So we're going to go to Genesis 24. We're going to start here. We're going to read uh, one through four. Genesis 24, verse one. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites amongst whom I dwell. So he was telling telling his servant that, you know, I want you to find a wife for my son, who we know as Isaac. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, our forefathers. He's saying, I want you to deal only with our people. There was a reason behind that. There's nothing wrong. That's not racist, brothers and sisters, saying, I want you to be um, continue your legacy with somebody of your Hebraic uh, lineage. 
there's 12 different tribes, brothers and sisters. We're not saying you have to deal with your same tribe, you know, but the Bible states that we should try to deal with our own brothers and sisters. Now, if you deal on the interracial, there's nothing wrong with that either, you know, because a lot of people, a lot of brothers are already in interracial marriages and then they come into the truth. You can't break that apart, brothers and sisters. With the most high joined together, you must leave that. So allow them to work that however they work that. But for people who have the knowledge and the truth, it would be easiest for you to stick with people within the Israelites because you have the same morals, the same customs, the same understanding. You like the same food. You like the same music. So read that one more time, brother. Verse 3. Yes, sir. Please. Verse 3. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughter of the Canaanites amongst whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Right. So his responsibility was to find a bride that was suitable for his son Isaac, our forefather. And he's saying, don't go amongst the Gentiles. Because why? Gentiles follow another God. They follow Buddha. They follow Hinduism. They follow Allah. We deal with the Bible, brothers and sisters. A lot of us may not know who the God of the Bible is, but you know the Bible. So as long as you have somebody who can, you know, can use the Bible as the foundation, then there's a little room to wiggle there. If you can, if you're looking for a husband or a wife, and they believe in the Bible, then that's a start, brothers and sisters. But somebody who don't even believe in the Bible, that's going to be. That's going to be hard on you, brothers and sisters, trying to get them to convert all the way over. At least if you believe in the Bible, you have the book right. That's all that matters. You get the book right, you can find the truth within that book, brothers and sisters. Um, We're going to move forward. We're going to go to verse 12 through 28. Genesis 24, verse 12. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day. And show kindness unto my master Abraham. So his servant prayed that as he went out, that the Most High would give him favor. Verse 13. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, and she shall say drink, and I will give thee camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. So he's saying, I'm going to wait at the well for the young ladies to come out, and I'm going to ask for a drink, and the one that gives me the drink and allows me to liquidate, or allows me to uh, give drink to my camel, will be the one that I know that the Most High chose for me, or not for me, but for Isaac. Can you continue, brother? Verse 15, And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that behold, Rebekah came out. Rebekah, our mother, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahar, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin. Neither had any man known her. Read that again, brother. Verse 16. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin. Neither had any man known her. To prove to you that virgin... In this context, it doesn't mean a woman without intercourse. That's why it's insinuating that she was a virgin. Neither had she known a man. Because a virgin in the Bible is simply a young woman, brothers and sisters, of marriageable age. It's not a woman who haven't dealt before. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 16. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, 
a virgin, neither had any man known her. See, see how it, it insinuated there, brothers and sisters? And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camel also until they have done drinking. See, this is exactly what he prayed for, brothers and sisters. This is how he knew this was the woman. Verse 20. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again into the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wandering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass as the camels had done drinking that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weights of gold and said, Whose daughter art thou? And said what? Whose daughter art thou? See, so during this time, brothers and sisters, the bride was seen as being completely under her father's control and authority. This was his first question. Who's, whose daughter are you? Who's your father? This is the level of respect we must come with, brothers and sisters. We must, uh, you know, address the father and deal with the marriage from the head down, brothers and sisters. You can't come and overjump this young lady's father or the man, you know, that's in her family that, you know. Uh, they look to for protection. You can't over jump him and get to, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, let's just, you know, let me go grab up a girl. You couldn't just grab up a girl, brothers and sisters. That was disrespectful to the culture. That was disrespectful to the most high. You had to address the father first. Now, some people have already, you know, married uh, in this world's terms. So we're not going to fault you for that. But going forward, you know, these are... The protocols that we are to look to. These are what we're supposed to teach our children. These are what we're supposed to teach our sons. That you go to the father. This is what we teach our daughters. That have the young boy come to your father. And, and gain his respect first. And that by chance. By you doing that. That's going to open the door for you actually to teach. Because a father's going to take interest to that. Hold on. Let me see what my daughter. Let me see what he's dealing with. Because there's honor in this. Because you came and asked for his permission. Instead of just trying to come and circumvent his home and his power brothers and sisters uh what scripture you have brother i'm on 23 can you read that again verse 23 and said whose daughter art thou tell me i pray thee is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in right so notice he gave the shekel the earring so that was his price that he was willing to pay because he needed to show that he had some level of substance you couldn't Go try to take a wife and you have no way to take care of her. That woman must have a roof over her head. You must know where she's going to sleep. You must know how she's going to eat. You can't just come and get a wife and you, you know, father's not going to sign off on that. If a father sign off, he's saying, listen, I will allow uh, my daughter to, you know, to look to you for leadership and guidance and to be taken care of. But if you're not prepared for that. A lot of times now in the Middle East, if you don't have certain things, resources, you're not even allowed to take a wife. We have to get ourselves together and make sure that the wife will be taken care of properly and then go. And see, that's why they had to separate the father from the homes, because there's no protection now. Now, man, you just go, you know, there's no man to say, nah, you a snake. You're not going to be with my dog. So that's why they've separated the father from the home. There's no protection, brothers and sisters. They did that strategically. <clears throat> Verse 24. 
And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. And she said, Moreover unto him, We have both straw and provender, enough and room to lodge in. So she's saying, Yes, we have enough room at my father's house for you. Continue, brother. Verse 26. And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of our master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things. Right. So then she ran home to let them know because they needed to know what family she was from. Once they realized they're the same kinsmen, she said, okay, now let me go. Because if we weren't related in the sense how Israel was all related with brothers and sisters through blood, we weren't allowed to deal. So once she realized, okay, we're kinsmen. Okay, now let me go. Because that was important, brothers and sisters, not to deal with outside of your borders, brothers and sisters. That was critical back then. Um, Brother, jump to 32. Genesis 24, verse 32. And the man came into the house, and he ungirded his camels, and gave straw and provender for the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat. Until I have told mine errand. And he said, speak on. So there was food there. But he said, listen, I don't want to eat yet. I need to tell you why I'm here. Because he still haven't told why he was there. Verse 34. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. Our father, Abraham. And the Lord hath blessed my master greatly. And he has become great. And he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold. And men servants and maid servants and camels and asses. And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son of my master when she was old. And unto him hath he given all that he had. And my masters made me swear, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife to my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But thou shalt go into my father's house, into my kindred, and take a wife unto my son. See, so a father had the right to tell his son who he don't, he don't want him to marry. That's the father had that right to say, uh-uh. I don't think you should be with her. Or yeah. So the father had that right, brothers and sisters, even for the groom. Continue, brother. Verse 39. And I said unto my master, Peradventure, the woman will not follow me. And he said unto me, The Lord, before whom I walk, will send his angels with thee, and prosper thy way. And thou shalt take a wife for my son, of my kindred, and of my father's house. Then shalt thou be clear from, my, from this my oath. When thou comest to my kindred, and if they give not thee one, thou shalt be clear from my oath. And I came this day into the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham. So he's going through what his oath was to his master. If now thou do prosper my way, which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water. And it shall come to pass that when a virgin cometh forth to draw water. When a young woman cometh to draw water. And I say to her. Give me, I pray thee, a little water of thy pitcher to drink. And she said to me, Both drink thou, and I will also draw for thy camels. Let the same be the woman who the Lord hath appointed out for my master's son. And before I had done speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down into the well and drew water. And I said unto her, Let me drink, I pray thee. And she made haste. 
and let down her pitcher from her from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. So I drank, and she made the camels drink also. And I asked her and said, Whose daughter art thou? Who is your father? That was important back, you know, in, in biblical times, brothers and sisters, according to this literature. And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milka bare unto him. And I put the earring upon her face and the bracelets upon her hand. See, so now he was given the gift. You had to bring the gift, brothers and sisters, because with this gift or with this bride's wealth, you were showing that you would be able to take care of this woman. So this was part of it. You had to give something in order in exchange. And see, this was important because a lot of men, they deal with the sister and then they move on. But if that brother paid something, whether it was his property, his money, or worked physically for it, it's a great chance that he's not going to be cheating and running around because he worked for you. He paid for you. He gave something up for you. Now, brothers don't have to work for nothing. So you see what have become from that, brothers and sisters. <coughs> Verse 48. Yeah. And I bowed down my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham. So notice he gave the gift, brothers and sisters, which is a nuptial a nuptial present. It's some gift or some money with the bridegroom's offer to the father for, you know, for his bride as satisfaction before he can receive her. So this is the contract. The contract is, Father, I'll give you this if you can give me your daughter's hand in marriage. So you got to go to the father, brothers and sisters, and say, you know, um, sir, uh, I have taken a liking to your daughter and I think we can create a great legacy together. In fact, this is the woman I want to walk into the kingdom of heaven with. This is how we go, brothers and sisters, in the spirit of humility. Continue, brother. Verse 48. And I bowed down my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. And now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me. That I may turn to the right hand or to the left. So he's saying, let me know if you're going to allow this to take place. Verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing proceeded from the Lord. We cannot speak into the bad or good. So they said, well, the Most High set this up. We can't speak against that. We have respect for God. The Most High, the God of Abraham, because they knew Abraham. So they knew Abraham was wealthy. They knew that he followed God. So there wasn't a lot of pushback because why? We were related in a sense. Not how, you know, you have an aunt and then her daughter. No, it's not like that, brothers and sisters. It's a race of family, a race of people with the same bloodline and the same customs. Verse 51. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go. And let her be thy master's son's wife. See, so now they've gotten the... The okay. Now he'd gotten the permission, right? So read that one more time, brother. Verse 51. Behold, Rebecca is before thee. Take her and go and let her be thy master's son's wife as the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver. Read and, that again, brother. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother's precious things. See, so you had to come bearing something, brothers and sisters, to show your level of seriousness, brothers and sisters. 
This was this was how it was. It was considered that the husband and his family were gaining an asset and the bride's family was losing one. And the price was according to the wealth of the groom's father. So that's how they determined what you know what the price would be, what the penance would be. And it wasn't always physical money. Sometimes it was jewels, sometimes it was land, sometimes it was physical labor. Alright, jump back to Genesis twenty four, brothers and sisters. We're going to read 57 through 58. So now we've had the contract. We went through the contract, brothers and sisters, of speaking with the father or the brother, whoever was in charge. That's stage one. An offer of marriage is proposed. It's like a proposal, pretty much, brothers and sisters. The offer is accepted, and Rebecca is married by contract. Once it's accepted, they are married. Once it's accepted, even though they haven't come together, even though they're going to live separately, they are viewed as married. So this is the betrothal is what you call like an engagement. It was the time before they lived together. But even though once you make this pact, you're viewed as married. So in order to be divorced, they would actually have to go get a divorce. They would have to get the paperwork, even though this was just the engagement. The engagement was as good as being married, brothers and sisters, at this time, even though you didn't live together. Uh, can you read that scripture again, brother? <clears throat> Genesis 24 and 57. And they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. Read that again, brother. And they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. See, to show you that the woman has say so in this. They said, well, let, let us ask and see what she thinks about it. So it wasn't how they make it seem in Islam where a woman had no, you know, had no say so in the matter. She don't like the dude or nothing like that. No, they respected. They respected what this young lady wanted to do. What did she say? Verse fifty-eight. And they called Rebecca and said unto her, "Wilt thou go with this man?" And she said, "I will go." See, so they asked her. She said, "I will go." Go to sixty-four through sixty-seven, brother, to show you now the contract had been made. That now it starts to be trothal or the engagement. What happens next? Genesis 24 and 64. <clears throat> and Rebecca lifted up her eyes. One second, brother. Let's go and let's jump up a few and let's go to 63, brother. Genesis 24 and 63. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the even tide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her, her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she, she lighted off the camel. For she had said unto her servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? So remember, Isaac is who the servant got the wife for. She's never seen Isaac at this point. Isaac had never seen her at this point. So it wasn't something where, oh, you know, the color of her eyes or her shape. And, nah, that's not how you choose Somebody that you're going to build a legacy with, brothers and sisters. And see, that's why the parents were involved. Because the parents are trying to figure out, who can I put with my son or daughter that's going to elevate my legacy? That's what it was about, brothers and sisters. This was legacy planning. This wasn't, oh, I like the way, uh, you know, that he dressed and she dressed. That's shallow, brothers and sisters. That's not biblical. Can you uh, read 64 again, brother? Verse 64. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off her camel. For she had said unto the servant, What man is this, this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. 
Therefore, she took a veil and covered herself. This is where the veil comes from, brothers and sisters. The veil symbolizes the idea of modesty and conveys the message that no matter how attractive physical appearances may be, the soul and the character are paramount. A woman is supposed to be shamefaced in front of her man. This is where you get the veil, brothers and sisters. This is the first time in historical literature that you can find this. Continue, brother. Verse 66. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. So he told her, you know, I went to the father, I went to the family, I paid the penance, and I, you know, we got the we got the permission. What happened next, brother? Verse sixty-seven. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebecca, and she became his wife. See, so he took her into the tent and she became became his wife to prove to you that the last and final stage. Of a marriage is consummation of the flesh, brothers and sisters. That's that's what institutes a marriage is the consummation of the flesh, brothers and sisters. It says she went into the tent and became his wife. How did she become his wife in the tent? It, was there a pastor in there saying, you know, the vows exchange rings? No. Now the Bible's not, you know, going to be descriptive on things. But anybody who's old enough to understand understands what happened in the tent, brothers and sisters. Can you read that again? Verse 67, and Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So, brothers and sisters, marriage, according to the Bible, it's, it, it starts with consummation of the flesh, of intercourse. Intercourse, brothers and sisters, is linked to marriage, brothers and sisters. So, just having intercourse with somebody isn't just you have intercourse. There's significance behind this, and you better be ready to make a... A, uh, uh, an agreement for the rest of your life to take care of this young lady if you're a man or, and if you're a lady to, to, to follow this man this is what, the importance of it now are we saying anybody you go sleep with is now your, your wife no and we, let's, no we need to put it out there because a lot of brothers like, yeah I just met her this is my wife this is my wife I met her at the club this is my wife <laughs> mom's like nah Nah, you go home to your family, right? Your mom, your dad, they're like, nah, that's fornication. So we need to go through the, you know, all of the steps. This is what constituted the marriage, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you the definition for marriage in the uh, Bible dictionary. Brother, can you read um, the, the highlighted part there? The top highlighted part? <clears throat> marriage is an intimate personal union to which a man and woman consent consummated and continuously nourished by sexual intercourse. See, so it have to there have to be there have to be intercourse, brothers and sisters, in order for it to be a marriage. So that's not saying go sleep around and then you're married. What it's saying is understand when you lay down, there's responsibilities with you laying down. That's what we're saying. We're not saying you could just go out and everybody's your wife. No, what we're saying is if you lay down, be prepared to, you know, be prepared to make a lifelong covenant, brothers and sisters. Can you read that one more time, brother, the definition of marriage? Marriage is an intimate personal union to which a man and woman consent, consummated and continuously nourished by sexual intercourse, and perfected in a lifelong partnership of mutual love and commitment. See, there must be commitment. There must be a lifelong commitment. Not you. You must have the conversation with the young lady or with the young man. It's, how can we serve the Most High together? 
what, what can we do to serve the Most High and make sure that our legacy follows the Most High? That's the conversation that has to happen first. You know, a lot of times, what happens first? The consummation happens first, right? In this world, the intercourse comes, and then you're like, yeah, 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 we'll figure the other stuff out. But right now, you know, got to go down right now. That's <laughs> that's usually what happens, brothers and sisters. And then after the honeymoon phase, you're like, hey, we got to talk about this Israelite stuff. I don't know what we're going to do about this. You already didn't, you know. But this is what happens, brothers and sisters. We get, you know, in that looking to fulfill our flesh, and then what happens? Then we start thinking about all the things that we should have talked about first, brothers and sisters. Can you read that one more time, brother? Marriage is an intimate personal union to which a man and woman consent, consummated and continuously nourished by sexual intercourse. And perfected in a lifelong partnership of mutual love and commitment. Further proof. We're going to go to the Hebrew word marriage and show you what it says in the concordance. So we're going to go to that Hebrew word for marriage. We know that marriage wasn't there. It was translated out of the Hebrew into the word marriage. So what was there before? Brother, read Exodus 21 and 10, please. Exodus 21 and 10. If he take him another wife. Her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall not shall he not diminish. Right. So this is saying that in biblical times, it was uh, an aberration if a man had more than one wife. But if he did, then that means both or all three, however many women, need to have their own home. They need to have their own transportation. They need to have their own food. So if you're a man that's got 10, 12 children's mothers out there, listen, all 12 of them better have a home. All 12 of them better have refrigerator food out of your pocket. All 12 of them better have transportation. Because your duty doesn't diminish to say, oh, because I got this over here, you know, you get less. Don't work like that. So only pretty much the rich, the wealthy, was able to even have more than one wife. And then I look at these brothers in this society who don't have a McDonald's job. Talking about, yeah, I got four wives. I got four wives, yeah. I do. I sure do. I'm like, brother, <laughs> you, that's not valid to the most high. We're going to show you that word marriage. It says, and her duty of marriage. It's the Hebrew word, uh, the Hebrew number 522. The definition says cohabitation, conjugal rights. See? So it's the conjugal and the cohabitation. You must cohabitate and have conjugal relations. It says, the Strong's definition says, Meaning to dwell together, sexual, cohabitation, duty of marriage. So when it's talking about marriage, it's talking about living together and doing the duty of marriage. That's marriage according to the Bible. Not you signing paperwork with the government so the government can be involved. If that was the way, brothers and sisters, 55 to 60% of quote-unquote Western world marriages would not end in divorce if that was the way. Now, we're not saying you can't do that. Because if some sisters are probably hearing this right now, like, oh, no, that ain't not. You're going to give me a wedding, a gown, I need to, everybody need to be there. <laughs> We've had sisters say that, like, nah, I need my day. Hey, there's nothing, we're not saying it's wrong, but what we're saying is that understand when you lay down, there's a responsibility that the Most High is viewing you with. And these are the tenets that we have to teach our children. This is what we must teach our children, because why? We need to take back the importance of marriage, the importance of family. We don't have that right now, brothers and sisters. So we need to show you that it's the conjugal cohabitation. That's according to the Hebrew word. So marriage in the Bible, according to biblical literature, is set concrete when there's intercourse, brothers and sisters. 
So we got to be careful who we just give ourselves to out there because you could be linked to that and be judged for that, brothers and sisters. Now we're going to we're going to we're going to jump to Ruth 4 and 13 to prove uh, what marriage is. Now, what we went into was marriage biblically defined. Marriage in the Bible simply consists of a man and woman with the consent of the woman's father or guardian living together and attempting procreation. That's that's what marriage is according to the Bible, brothers and sisters. No vows, no priests, no ritual, no prayer, no pronouncement, no license, no registration. That have nothing to do with the Most High. We're not saying you can't do that, but understand the Most High don't see, don't view you any more married than He did when you did these things when you laid down, brothers and sisters. Go to Ruth four and thirteen, brother. Ruth four verse thirteen. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. See, so Ruth became his wife when he went into her. That's when it, she became his wife, brothers and sisters. Can you read that again? Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. Right. So once you've laid down, brothers and sisters, that's a lifelong agreement, a contract, brothers and sisters. If you're a man, you've now made a covenant with this sister's father to provide the essentials for his daughter to live comfortably for the rest of her natural life. That's, that's, hey, you went there. So if you go there, understand what you're getting yourself into, brothers and sisters. And to even be considered, a man must show the father he have what it takes to provide for his daughter. That's how it's supposed to be, brothers and sisters. If you have a daughter, this is what you want, right? This is what you want. So the man must have a certain level of provisions to even deal with this, brothers and sisters. And a lot of times those provisions were provided by his father. Now, this is the final step. What we're reading here, the final step to consecrate a marriage. But there's a whole procedure that precedes this particular act in order to be a valid marriage according to the Most High, brothers and sisters. So you have the contract, the agreement, number one. Then you have the betrothal, which is like the engagement. Then you have the ceremony. The ceremony actually comes after the intercourse, brothers and sisters. According to the Bible. Now they're doing it backwards in American society, Western world society. But the intercourse comes, then the feast comes, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you. Go to Matt, uh, go to Genesis 28, brother. We're giving you the biblical literature of, you know, what marriage is according to the Bible. Now you may not agree with this, and that's fine. It's your prerogative to not agree. What we do here at our church is just present you with what the Bible says. Whether somebody agree or not, that's not even, we're not concerned with that. We're just concerned with giving you the true information. Therefore, you can make an educated decision about what's transpiring in your day-to-day life. We're going to Genesis 28 and 1. <clears throat> Genesis 28 verse 1. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughter of Canaan. Now realize, Abraham said this to his son Isaac. Isaac is now saying it to his son Jacob. So, further proof showing that the father had the authority to overrule his son's urge to marry a certain woman. That's why the Bible tells you what? Honor your mother and your father, brothers and sisters. And see, if you as a man try to skip over the father, now you've led that sister to sin. Because now she's not honoring her father. Because... You wanted to skip over the father. Now, in ancient times, the Hebrew father of the groom 
could choose the son's bride, brothers and sisters. The son would honor his father's choice and the arrangements, you know, the arrangement plans would begin at that point. So the family was very important. You're going to hear that word father a lot in this lesson because it was important when it comes to marriage, brothers and sisters. And if there's no father there, you go to the man who um, is respected in their, in their family, in their household, that they look to for protection. Even if the father's not there, it could be a brother, it could be an uncle. And if there's, if there's no men, then you go to the mother. But you must go to the family, brothers and sisters, if you wanted to be blessed. You must. From this point forward, we, you listen, the Most High is not going to judge you for what you've done in the past, right? You have grace for that. But once you have the knowledge, you're responsible for that grace that you have obtained. We're going to, uh, we're going to read, let's see. We're going to go to Genesis 29 and 1. <clears throat> Genesis 29 verse 1 Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east and he looked and behold a well in the field and lo read, read verse 1 more time brother verse 1 Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east Now why was Jacob on a journey remember our big brother Esau the Edomites the Romans threatened to kill us remember after we got the birthright so he was told to run and hide and where to go this is where he was at, brothers and sisters. Jump to verse 10, 29 and 10, brother. Genesis 29 and 10. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled a stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel. And lifted up his voice and wept. Right. So it was important. He knows who this person is. He said Laban, his mother's brother, to show you that these were related. It wasn't, you know, immediate family like how we talk today. When we call you all our brother, we are brethren. You are sister according to blood. This is what this saying is. It's saying kindred or kinsmen. Continue, brother. Verse 12. Actually, verse 11, please. Verse 11. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. See how important it was to stick with your own people, brothers and sisters? They were waiting to see, who are you? Oh, you Israel? Go tell my dad. That's how it was, brothers and sisters. And look at the reverence that the young lady had for her father. It wasn't, you know, I had a brother ask me today, well, what if the father says no? What do you do then? Really? You got to respect that father. You got to find out why he said no first. Maybe it's something that you don't have right now. Maybe it's something you can obtain. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God. So then you go to him and you ask him what it is that you could possibly change. But if it's a no, because he may think you're a snake and you're a liar because you're trying to get his daughter, then you have to respect that, brothers and sisters. You got to respect that. You can't have this sister go against her father for you. Can't do that. That's not righteous. Continue, brother. Verse 13. And it came to pass, when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him, and embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him to his house. And he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him in the space of a month. So he lived with him for a month. Verse 15. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, Shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, 
what shall thy wages be? He says, shouldest thou not serve me for naught? So when you lived with a family in ancient times, you owed them servitude. So it's just like today. If you go live with a brother or a sister, what you start doing? You start taking out the trash, right? Doing the dishes, vacuuming, right? That was your form of payment. So he's saying, because you're my kindred, I don't want you to work for nothing. What shall be the penance of your wage? Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 15. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Right, Leah and Rachel, brothers and sisters. Verse 17. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. When it says tender-eyed, the Bible constantly warns you about women's eyes because men fall for women a lot of times through the lust of the eyes and through the eyes. So she was tender-eyed, which means she didn't leap, you know. She wasn't extravagant where everybody was just admiring this sister. She was a beautiful sister. But, you know, in the way you could tell is look at what it says after that. Can you read that scripture again, brother? Verse 17. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. See, so Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Verse 18. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Now look at what's going on. This is a contract. Here's the contract. He's talking to the father. He's saying, listen, my price is I will work for you for seven years. Imagine that, brothers and sisters. You're working seven years for the woman that you love. Some brothers say seven months is too much, let alone seven years. And the Bible tells you when you go more in depth that this, this felt like two days to him because he was working for somebody that he loved, brothers and sisters. Imagine working seven years. You think that you're not going to do everything you can to make this relationship work after you done <laughs> blood, sweat, and tears for seven years for this man, for her father? This is the way it was. Notice he went to the father and said, listen, I will work seven years for your daughter. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 18. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. See, so he this is a contract to work for seven years in advance before he gets the girl. This is before. Verse 19. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. He said, I rather, it's better for me to give her to you, my kindred, who is a man of God. I know because Abraham, you, you know, our forefathers, of course, Abraham's children, would be following God like we're doing today. So he's saying, listen, I'd rather give her to you, somebody I trust and I love, my kindred, than to another man. Verse 20. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Read that again, brother. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. See, so he worked seven years, brothers and sisters, for this woman. See? Now, this is how... You know, I'm not saying go work seven years, but what we're saying is this keeps the relationship strong because he actually worked for this. And this is for the sisters to see, too, that this is how it should be. I'm not saying make a brother work 100 years, but there needs to be some level of work, brothers and sisters, to keep it honest, to keep it. There's some levity there. And that was the importance of the father. You need to prove yourself to me, her father, before I give the okay. I may say no. Right. So they've made the contract. Once the contract is now, now they're quote unquote betrothed or engaged. 
even though they they don't deal with each other in the eyes of the public, they're married because there's been an agreement, there's been a contract, there's been stipulations. Continue, brother. Verse twenty one, and Jacob said unto Laban, "Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her." Right. So after he completed the seven years, he's like, "Okay, listen, I worked seven years. I need my wife. We're gone. We're, we're going." Read, read that one more time, brother. Verse 21. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. See, here goes the feast now. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her, brought her to him. And he went in unto her. See, so he got sneaky. He, they, there was drinking. There was a feast. And he... he you know, as Jacob was intoxicated, he brought the elder daughter, the tender-eyed one, Leah. Jacob didn't work. He didn't agree to work for Leah. He agreed to work for Rachel. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 23. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him. And he went in unto her. And he went in unto her. Now, we know that once you have intercourse, you're married. So now he's married to the wrong woman. That he didn't say he wanted to work for, brothers and sisters. He wanted to work for the other sister. Can you read that uh, next scripture, brother? Verse 24. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid for a handmaid. So during this time, you would give a maid also, you know, with the bride. Because why? That was like your nurse. Our people were of stature where you could give nurses, <laughs> right, to, to help with the, the housely duties. We've fallen far from grace. But this is who we were, brothers and sisters. We were regal. We were in charge. And we had we had a plethora of resources. Continue, brother. Verse 25. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. So when he woke up, he's like, hold on. This is Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? So he's saying, why did you beguile me? Why were you crafty in your counsel? Why... Did you trick me? You know I work for Rachel, but yet you sent Leah into my bedchambers. Continue, brother. Verse 26. And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. See, so now he found a he, he found a, a, a corner, a crack that he could turn in. He said, well, listen, in our culture in this country, we don't give the, the younger daughter before the elder daughter. Well, if that was the case, why didn't you just say that in the beginning? <laughs> But see, there was something that was going on. When the Israelites are working for somebody, that business become great. The same way when we were in Egypt, Egypt became great. When we left, it became a desert. Look at where the slaves are now. Where the majority of Israel is, is in America. Who's the greatest country? America. So Laban's business, it elevated to a statue he had never seen before because God had favor on Jacob. So wherever Jacob was, there was blessings. So he tricked him into working longer. Uh, read that scripture one more time, brother. <clears throat> Verse 26. And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also. For the service which thou, which thou shalt serve with, with me yet seven other years. See, so he's saying, work seven more years and I'll give you. So now he has to work 14 years. For the woman that he loved, brothers and sisters. Now, realize that he still had to take Leah, and he was responsible for that. Even though he was tricked, 
He laid down. So he already knew the responsibility was you're going to take Leah. You're going to take care of her too because you laid down. I don't care what happened. If you laid down, that's your wife, brother. That's your wife. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 27. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. And he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. Right. So they had the they had the feast, the seven day feast for Leah. And at the end of the feast, he gave Rachel too. before he worked the other seven years. He still had to work it. But he said, I won't make you work the 14 first. You work the seven. We have the feast for Leah. And then at the end of the feast, I'll give you Rachel, too. He still had to work after that, though. Uh, continue, brother. Read verse uh, 27 and 28 one more time. Verse 27. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee, give thee this also, for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. See, so this was the payment, brothers and sisters. This was the payment. In all Hebrew marriages, this dowry or this payment held important place. This dowry or this payment sealed the betrothal or the engagement. So the bridegroom presented gifts to the bride and her family or work. He worked. And that's what happened. The payment was made in recognition of the loss incurred by the bride's family as a working member of the household. Um, So sometimes the groom was permitted to avoid paying monetary and use his time, his labor, his works. And this is what happened, brothers and sisters. Uh, We're going to jump forward. We're going to go to verse 30. Genesis 29 verse 30 And he went in also unto Rachel And he loved also Rachel more than Leah And served with him yet seven other years See so he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah Leah was you know He loved Leah too but Rachel is the one that he wanted Brothers and sisters So now he's consummated with both So these are his wives He must take care of these women Period You lay down with them There's no way that you're going to get out of Providing uh, you know, for these young women. And he knew that. He didn't even try to get out of it and say, well, I was tricked. He didn't even go there because he knew what his responsibility was by laying down, brothers and sisters. Uh, read read that one more time, brother. Verse 30. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Right. See, so we went through what? Stage one was the contract, him asking Laban, you know, what can I, you know, I'll pay you seven years of work, right? And then was the consummation. After he worked, it was the consummation, which solidified the marriage. And then after that was what? The feast. Brother, read verse 27 and 28 again. Verse 27. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me. So fulfill this week. That's the seven-day celebration, brothers and sisters. Verse 28, and Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. Right, so this seven-day feast before both wives. We're showing you the protocols, brothers and sisters, because this is what we must teach our children. This is if we're not married, we're looking to be married, whether female or male. This is the correct way to go about it. Respecting the family, respecting the father, respecting the young lady, you know, building that 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 bond because why the families must be involved because if you involve the families then they're spiritually invested in you staying together now if they didn't have anything to do with y'all coming together then 
they, you know, if it fall apart, it just fall apart. But if you get the families involved, now they're invested in keeping you together too, both ways. So it was very important that we did this, brothers and sisters. So we went through what? We went through the the contract or the agreement. We went through the patrothal, which is, you know, they were married but couldn't have intercourse. Then you had the feast. Those are the three steps, brothers and sisters. We usually just go right to the intercourse and say, yep, we're married. It's not valid if you don't go through these other steps, brothers and sisters. From, you know, especially going forward, if you, you know, you're not married. This is something that we need to implement, brothers and sisters. This is something we need to implement. Go to Tobit. 7 and 10 to show you that there was a this was an agreement. There was an agreement that come with this. Tobit in your apographer brothers and sisters. We're going to read chapter 7 verse 10 through 14. Tobit 7 and 10. For it is meet that thou should marry my daughter. Nevertheless, I will declare unto thee the truth. So there's a father who's given his his permission for a man to marry his daughter, but he's saying I must give you this truth. What's the truth, brother? Verse 11, I have given my daughter in marriage to seven men who died that night they came in, in unto her. Nevertheless, for the present be married. But Tobias said, I will eat nothing here till we agree and swear one to another. So the father saying, I agreed to marry her to seven different men. But the night of when he came into the bedchambers, the Most High took his, took his life away. So he was being honest that he'd gone through this seven times. And the man never fulfilled it, brothers and sisters. Can you continue? Verse 12. Raguel said, Then take her from henceforth according to the manner, for thou art her cousin. Right, and when you look at that word cousin, it's kinsman. It's not your aunt's daughter. It's not what this is talking about. And she is thine, and the merciful God give you good success in all things. So here it is, the father again giving his blessing the way it was supposed to be done. Verse 13, then he called his daughter Sarah, and she came to her father, and he took her by the hand, and gave her to be wife to Tobiah, saying, Behold, take her after the law, <clears throat> the law of Moses, and lead her away to thy father. And he blessed them, and called Edna his wife, and took paper, and did write an instrument of covenants and sealed it. See, so there was a contract that was signed, brothers and sisters. This contract spells out the husband's obligations to the wife during marriage, uh, the conditions of the inheritance uh, upon his death, and the obligations regarding the support of the children that come from this marriage. This was all written in, you know, and they have taken this and turned it into a marriage certificate. When this is where it came from, it wasn't a marriage certificate. It was the obligations of what you agreed to do as the man for proof to say, listen, I gave him my daughter. He said that he would take care of her. He would love her. He signed this documentation. So that was binding, brothers and sisters, to show you that this was a contract that was being made. This was a contract when you come to the father and ask for his daughter's hand in marriage. This was a contract. of You said you'll pay this or you'll work this. You were held to that contract, brothers and sisters. A man's word is all he has, especially during this time. We don't need all this other stuff. When you sign those papers in America, that changes your tax status. That actually locks you into where if you try to divorce or split off, you lose your assets. See, so it's really not even about you being married. It's more about monetary value. It's about, okay, I'm married, so now I, I pay less taxes. Now I get more back on my taxes. That had nothing to do with the Most High, brothers and sisters. That don't make it valid in the eyes of the Most High. 
Because why? You have people marrying people for green cards. You think that's you? You think the Most High's viewing that because they got a piece of paper as righteous? No, no. They have taught us and manipulated us into losing the understanding of what true marriage is, according to Scripture, brothers and sisters. We're going to Isaiah fifty-four because now we get into the good part. Now that you know the protocols of a Hebraic marriage, now you can understand the marriage that Christ has with us. Now that you know the steps, now you'll be able to understand the marriage that Christ has with his people. We're going to show you Isaiah 54 and 5 because Moses, the Most High made a covenant with Moses called the Old Testament. Testament means what? Testament means covenant. So you had an old covenant, you had a new covenant. That was a marriage covenant that he made with Israel when we received the law. Uh, can you read verse 5 through 7, brother? <clears throat> Isaiah 54, verse 5. For thy maker is thine husband. Right, see? So the Father, the Most High, is our husband. Read it again, brother, please. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. See, so Israel is the Most High's woman, brothers and sisters. Verse 6, for the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth. When thou was refused, said, the, said thy God, for a small mo moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. See, so for a small moment I have forsaken you. Because I had a brother ask me last week, it said that the Most High would, we would kindle a fire in his anger that would burn forever. Yeah, unless he had mercy on us, unless he had grace on us to come back. Read that last scripture again, brother. Verse 7. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. Read verse 8, brother, please. Verse 8. And a little wrath I hid my face from thee. See, so a little wrath I hid my face from you where I didn't help you because you wanted to follow other gods, so I let you be under those other gods. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee. For a moment. For a moment. But everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, said the Lord thy Redeemer. See, everlasting kindness. This is how we come back, brothers and sisters. We don't deserve it, but the Most High is merciful. That's grace, brothers and sisters. Even though you don't deserve it, the Most High love us so much. We his woman. Just imagine, brothers and sisters, any man who's ever really been in love with a woman, you can't even, when that woman's apart from you, away from you, you can't even focus. you like... You were meant to be with me. <laughs> you were made for me. Brothers, no, you can't even sleep at night. That's how the Most High is feeling. Because you out serving other gods when I chose you. This is how the Most High is feeling, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you. We're going to Jeremiah 3 and 8. To show you that the Most High is our husband, according to the Bible. Jeremiah 3 and 8. Now you can understand the, the value of uh, these analogies. Uh, between the Most High being uh, our husband, the husband of Israel. We're going to read verse 8. Jeremiah 3 and 8. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery. We committed adultery. What does that mean? We committed spiritual fornication. We started dealing with other gods. That's what, we, that's what was going on. This is what caused the Most High to be angry, brothers and sisters. I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. See, so he divorced us. Read, read that again from the top, brother, please. Verse 8. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, 
I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Now we know Israel and Judah are the northern kingdom of the quote-unquote natives, and Judah is predominantly the Negro tribes. He's saying that, listen, I gave you all a bill of divorce to separate because why? You're a fornicator. And the fornication was the only reason you could divorce in the Bible, brothers and sisters. So we started to fornicate and follow other gods. So the Most High said, you know what? I'm, we're going to separate. We're going to separate. Can, uh, which scripture did you leave off on, brother? I just finished eight. Okay, jump to verse 13 through 15, brother. So he's saying he's going to give us a divorce. Verse 13. Only acknowledge thine iniquity do, that... Do what, brother? Acknowledge thine iniquity... That thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. See, so acknowledge what you did. That's what he's saying. All I need you to do is acknowledge where you were wrong at. Because if you can acknowledge where you were wrong, that means you know how to change. If you don't even see where you're wrong, this isn't going to work. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 13. Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy ways to the stranger under every green tree. And ye have not obeyed my voice, said the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children. So turn back, brothers and sisters. So he's saying, he's given us a chance for reconciliation. We can come back. Turn, O backsliding children, said the Lord. For I am married unto you. For what? I am married unto you. For what? I am married unto you. See? So you need to understand the Hebraic origin of marriage in order to understand the relationship that God have with his people. Verse 14. Turn, O backsliding children, said the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Right, so all of Israelites are not going to make it, because all of us are not going to follow. All of our family are not going to make it. So he's saying, I will choose one here, two here, three here, to come back into Zion. Zion is Israel. We will get our land back, brothers and sisters. So here, the Most High said he's our husband. He also said he divorced us, but we could turn back if we acknowledge our sin, brothers and sisters. Go to Jeremiah 31 and 31, brother. We're going to get a little bit more on this marriage that the Most High had with his people. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days come, said the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. See, he was going to make a new covenant because why? He just told us we broke the old covenant. He just told us we were backslide. So he wrote us the divorce. Now he's given us another opportunity. A covenant is an agreement. The old covenant is the Old Testament. The new covenant. The Old Testament is when we broke that covenant. So there was a new covenant. That's what we're dealing with, brothers and sisters. Can you read that again, Brother Corey? Verse 31. Behold, the days come, said the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. See? Not according to the one he made with our forefathers. We broke that. So the Most High gave us another opportunity. It's just like, you know, when, you know, your wife may have done something wrong and y'all split and she always want to come back and you're like, no. And then one day she's outside and you open the door. You're like, get in here. <laughs> she's like, yes, I'm sorry. I'm feeling so glad to be back. That's how we are, brothers and sisters. That's how Israel is. And this to show you that you can forgive. If you're dealing with your wife who done something, who transgressed, you can forgive. Because this is the Most High in the Old Testament forgiving. The Most High. A lot of brothers say, nah, man, nah. The Bible say, nah, I'll put you away, I'm done. 
But the Most High was showing leniency. He was showing mercy even then. So we can do the same thing. Because why? Everybody make mistakes, brothers and sisters. Everybody make mistakes. Continue, brother. Verse 32. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. See, so Israel with the same people, they crossed the Red Sea. Which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them, said the Lord. See, we broke that covenant, even though the Most High was our husband. We started following other gods. See, that's what we started to do. And see, men know this. When your wife start listening to other men, that's a form of cheating. The same way Eve, right, started listening to something else that was going on instead of her husband talking to another man the things that she should have been talking to her husband. That's a form of cheating, brothers and sisters. And the Bible's showing you right here. We start listening to other guys, doing what they say over what our husband said, what the Most High said. Continue, brother. Verse 33. <clears throat> but, this shall be th- but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God. And they shall be my people. Right. So we would get a new covenant, brothers and sisters, even though Israel turned away from God's covenant time, you know, time and time again, uh, the most high continues to be faithful to us. In Jeremiah, we see that God's grace for Israel continues as he makes another promise to Israel. He wants us, you know, to be with him. He keeps giving us chances because he made us for him. There's no reason for us if we're not going to be for him. So he keeps giving us chances. Continue, brother. Verse 34. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. See, so we should all know the Most High. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, said the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. See, so if we turn away, the Most High will forgive our iniquity. And remember our sin no more. That's the only way to be liberated, to go into this new covenant, brothers and sisters. We must, what? Accept Christ. And we're going to show you Christ was the new covenant. That blood that Christ shed was the new covenant for us. Without Christ, we couldn't be saved, brothers and sisters. Because Christ came for the children of Israel. He didn't come for Gentiles. He came for the children of Israel because the children of Israel had a covenant with the Most High that they broke. Now, are we saying Gentiles or other people outside of Israel can't be saved? No, we're not saying that. We're saying he didn't come for him. For example, if you have a son that goes to school, you go pick your son up from school, and there's another kid sitting there whose parents didn't pick him up, you'll take him home too. But you didn't come there for him. You came there for your son, for your daughter. But there was another kid who needed you know, some help, so you facilitated that help. So Christ came for us because we're the one who broke the covenant. We're going to show you Matthew 26 and 26. The covenant was through Christ. So you must accept Christ in order to be back in the covenant. Matthew 26, verse 26. Actually, brother, I need you to, yeah, actually read 26. This is at the Last Supper, brothers and sisters. Verse 26. And as they were eating, Christ took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament. This is my blood of the New Testament. Testament is another word for covenant. This is the blood of my new covenant. That's what this is 
That's that's what this is. This is how you accept the covenant, brothers and sisters, by accepting Christ's blood. Can you read that one more time? Verse 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. See, it was shed for the remission of sin because we sinned against our God. So this was our way back, brothers and sisters. Go to Hebrews 9 and 15 to buffer that point, brothers and sisters. We want the brothers and sisters to have a, you know, an idea of what a valid marriage is according to the Most High, and how we should teach our children and come back to our culture. We don't have to follow the Roman Edomite white man's way of being married. We have our own customs, and we're going to stick to our own customs and let them stick to what they want to do. We're not expecting Gentiles to do this. Gentiles do what they want to do, but for Israel, the Most High's portion, the chosen people, this is. This is it, brothers and sisters. Read verse 15. Hebrews 9 and 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. The New Covenant or New Testament. Christ is the mediator of it. That by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament. See, so by redemption for the transgressions that were under the first covenant, transgression is breaking the law. So for those sins that we broke under the first covenant... They which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. See? For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. See? So where the covenant is, there must be bloodshed, brothers and sisters. This is the only way for redemption. We were a people who did what? Who sacrificed for our sins. Sacrificed sheep. Christ was that sheep, brothers and sisters, the unblemished lamb, that sacrifice that we needed in order to get back in the Most High's good graces for him to allow us to come back. Go to Romans, brother, 7 and 2, because this is critical. Now, we always read the scriptures of how we were Christ's bride, but without understanding of a, of a marriage, you have no understanding of what that means. We're going to read verse 2 through 4. Romans 7 and 2. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of the husband. Right, so we know the Most High was our husband. It's saying for a woman which have a husband is bound by the law, so you're bound by the law of marriage, unless what happens? Unless a death happens. See, so through Christ's death, we were able to remarry, because we're not allowed to marry. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 2. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of the husband. See, so if our husband died, right, Christ, who was in representation of the Most High, died, then that gave position for us to remarry. That's what this is saying. Israel can be married to another man. That other man is Christ who's been risen because Christ died. Gave us a chance to remarry, even though we were divorced, and then we married him again. See? Re read that next scripture, brother. Verse 3. So then if while her husband liveth, she be remarried to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. See? So while we were married to the Most High, we followed other gods. We were, we were called adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. See? So if... The husband died. The woman is allowed to remarry. So Christ died. We're going to show you that Christ represents the most high. So when Christ died and rose again, we had a chance to be married back again. So this was this was important that the most high did this, brothers and sisters. A lot of us don't even know the significance behind 
what happened with Christ and with his blood. We're going to show you. We're going to Philippians 2 and 6. Because some people are saying, but hold on, God didn't die. No, you're right. God didn't die. God can't die. But Christ, who came in the image of the Most High, we're going to show you, who was equal, who saw himself equal to the Most High, died. Therefore, we had another chance to come back. We're going to read Philippians 2 and 6. Philippians 2, verse 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. See, this is Christ. Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. See, he was equal because why? Because he was doing what the Most High said. Everything the Most High, his father told him to do, he did. So he was saying, I do exactly what my father tell me to do. So I'm, I'm in my father's place right now. So he's not saying he is the Most High. What he's saying is, if you've seen me, you've, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Because I do everything that the Father tell me to do. It's just like when you go to the store, you say, oh, can I talk to the manager? Right? Well, I am the manager. <laughs> because I'm going to tell you exactly what the manager would tell you. See? And that's what was going on here. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. See, Christ's name is above all names. That at the name of Christ every, every knee should bow, and things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right. So we need to show you that Christ was viewed as equal to the Most High. That's how he was able to die for us and that to be a penance. So the Most High made a way for, you know, for us to come back by a death of his son. He could only send his son. He could only send somebody perfect to die so we could have a way in. We're going to show you. Go to John 12 and 45 to show you when he says, you know, thought it not robbery to be equal with the Most High. What does that mean? Because we know Christ isn't God. John 12 and 45. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. See? So he that seeth me, seeth he that sent me. Because why? I'm doing everything as my Father have told me to do. So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I'm doing exactly what you told me. If you have a son, right, and y'all have a store, you go out of town, but you teach your son how to run the business exactly as you would, then when somebody come in and have a complaint, seeing you, the son, is just like seeing the father because you're doing exactly as your father said. That's what the scripture is saying, brothers and sisters. Can you read that again? Verse 45. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world. That whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Right. So, brothers and sisters, we're going to read verse 49. Verse 49. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. See? So, Christ didn't come to do his own will. He came to do what the Father told him to do, brothers and sisters. To prove that, we're going to John 6.38. Got a few more scriptures. We're going to close it out. But we need you to get this... This understanding, brothers and sisters. John 6 and 38. For I come down from heaven, not to do mine own will, 
but the will of him that sent me. Read that again. For I come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. See, so because he came to do his own will, he was able to die for us so we could come back and marry again, brothers and sisters. Now realize we have what? The contract stage, right? When was the contract? He made the contract with our father, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he made the contract. Then what happened was the work or the penance, the payment. What was the payment? Christ's death was the payment. Now what happens? Now is the consummation, brothers and sisters. Now is the feast after that. When Christ comes back, that's the marriage. Right now we're in the betrothal stage right now. We're separated from our husband, who is Christ. Even though we're married, we haven't been together. So that, you see how that lines up, brothers and sisters? You had the contract, which is the covenant that we had. You had the betrothal, which was the payment, the gift that was given in order to have the bride, which Christ gave his blood. See, so all of this correlates together. And you, you would need to know uh, the protocols of a Hebraic marriage in order to understand the significance behind these analogies, brothers and sisters. We're going to 1 John 5 and 7 near Revelations. 1 John 5, verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. Right, so brothers and sisters, you have the Holy Ghost, you have the Father, which is the Most High, High, the Great I Am, and you have who? Christ. Now these three have life within themselves, but it's giving you an analogy. It tells you spirit, water, and blood agree in one. They're three different things, but they come together to make what? One body. So even though Christ isn't God, he works together in conjunction with the Most High for the Most High's will. The same way blood, spirit, and water come together for one body. They work together even though they're three separate things. Read, uh, read verse 7 again, brother, please. Verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth. The Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. See, they're not one. They agree in one, brothers and sisters. To show you that Christ is representing the Most High. And through His death, we are able to come back. Go to 2 Corinthians 11 and 2, brother. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Right, that we should be presented as a chaste virgin for Christ. We're, the, we're Christ's woman. He's our husband, brothers and sisters, which means we get to live with him. And everything that he has become ours, the same way in a marriage. The same way in a marriage, brothers and sisters. Now you get the inheritance of the groom and the groom's father as the bride. And Christ have an inheritance for us, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you. Can you read that scripture again? <clears throat> Verse 2. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Why? Because Eve started listening to another man. She started listening to Satan, not another man, but she started listening to something else out there. 
which began the fornication, brothers and sisters. The same way if you have your wife listening to what other dudes say over you, that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem. See? So he's saying, don't fall to that same thing of listening to other men, listening to other gods. See, Christ is the groom, brothers and sisters. We are the bride. We're going to show you John 14 and 1. Because we know that during the betrothal, once the man have made the, uh, the, the agreement, he goes back to his father's home to what? Build a place, start building a place for him and his wife to live. You had to have a place ready for this woman before you went and got her. You couldn't just bring her and say, yeah, we're going to uh, figure that out later. No, you're not. When you're betrothed, you go back to your home. And for that year, you find a place. You start building a place. And she starts to get herself together. She starts getting her garments together. You know, dealing with her family. Because now she's getting ready to separate from her family and go somewhere else. So you took that betrothal stage to get your affairs in order. And Christ did the same thing. Let us show you John 14 and 1. This is what Christ did during his betrothal. John 14 and 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. See, so he went to prepare a place for his bride. That's where he went. Because you have to have a place for your bride. See how that fits in flawlessly with what we just learned about the Hebraic marriages? That you would first have an agreement. After you've agreed, the man, the groom would go back to his father's house and start to build a home within his father's property. Because usually you couldn't afford anything on your own, especially marriages happen a lot of times when they were young. So they didn't have anything of their own. So you went back to your father's house and he helped you build a place for you and your wife. That's what was going on with Christ. Christ went away to build a place for his bride. Read that again from the top, brother. Verse one. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. See, so he comes back for his bride. See, the same thing that happens in Hebraic marriages. So Christ drew the analogy from Hebrew marriage customs in biblical times. In what ways did Christ promise, you know, was Christ's promise analogous with Hebrew marriage customs? Think about it. After the betrothal, the groom then began to build the new home, usually on the family's property for the couple. See? So it was important that in this new home, would, you know, this new home would meet the honor of the father's stature. So that means when the son went, the, the groom went to go build up a house, it had to, the father of the bride had to say, okay, that's enough. Because it had to match his stature. So you really didn't know what you were building or how long you was going to build it. The father would tell you, okay, that's enough for my daughter. That's, that's good enough. Or he would say, no, you got more building to do. And this is what's going on with Christ, brothers and sisters. Can you read verse 2 again, brother? Verse 2. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Right. I go to prepare a place for you. Right. He's going to prepare a place for us, brothers and sisters. In that same manner as an Israelite groom came to take his bride to live with him after the betrothal, the, the, the uh, period of separation. So Christ will come and take his church back to live with him. So that's the same thing that's happening. After the betrothal, 
the the man would walk to the he would have uh, a line of like groomsmen what you call today and they would have torch tiki torches and they would walk and sing and pray out loud to the bride's house to go get her and the bride doesn't know when he's coming she doesn't know so she's just waiting prepared she doesn't know when he's coming so this is what's happening when Christ comes back he's coming back for us so we can live in that place that he prepared for us brothers and sisters can you uh let's read one through three and then we'll move on brother we're almost done John 14 and 1 let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye shall be also. Right, see? So this is the marriage, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you Ephesians Five and twenty-two to prove to you that the church is Christ's bride. Everything we we deal with here, we must prove. We can't just you know insinuate. You must prove it through Scripture, or it holds no weight. Ephesians five and twenty-two. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. See the husband. Is the head of the wife as what? As Christ is the head of the church. See, so it's showing you the relationship between a husband and a wife and Christ in the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. See, to show to show you that the church. Now, this isn't the Christian church. It's talking about, it's talking about God's people, Israel. Israel is the church, brothers and sisters. Those who follow the commandments. Because you're going to have a, a myriad of Israelites who are not going to follow. And they're not part of the church. They're not getting married to Christ. You are. We are, brothers and sisters. Further proof. Revelations 19 and 7. Revelation 19, verse 7. <clears throat> Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. See, the marriage of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Christ is ready. His wife hath made herself ready. Who's his wife? That's us. So right now, we're perfecting ourselves. We're getting together. We're starting to follow the laws, statutes, and commandments. Eat clean foods, not celebrate pagan holidays. This is what we're doing. We're perfecting ourselves. So when Christ comes back, we're ready. This is Christ's wedding, brothers and sisters. Can you read that again? Verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice. And give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, and clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he, he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he hath unto me, and he, and he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Blessed is he who would make it to the marriage, brothers and sisters. We're looking to make it to the marriage. In the same manner as the Hebrew bridegroom came to the bride's home for the purpose of obtaining her through the establishment of a marriage covenant, so Christ came to the earth for the purpose of obtaining a church, you know, through the establishment of a covenant. The same exact way, brothers and sisters. It's the same exact way. Brother, go to Revelations 21 and 2. Revelation 21 and 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, 
New Jerusalem, coming down from the God of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. See? So this is that place he went to prepare, coming down from the heavens. New Jerusalem. Heaven coming to earth. You're not going to float up into the sky, brothers and sisters. This is that place Christ went to prepare for us. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from the God of, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. See, so prior to the grooms leaving to go fetch the bride, he must already have a place prepared as you know for their humble abode. Before he goes back to get his wife, from her father's house. He must have a place to bring her back to. That's how it works, brothers and sisters. And this was Christ doing the same thing. Preparing a place for us. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So parallel to the customs of you know the Israelites, the groom preparing, a living, preparing living accommodations for his bride in his father's house during the time of separation, Christ has been preparing a living, you know, has preparing living accommodations for the church in his father's house. Right? The same exact way. The same exact way, brothers and sisters. We got about five more scriptures and we're going to close it out. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. I think this has been very informative. And, you know, brothers and sisters, you know, write these things down, pause it, come back to it. Let this marinate, brothers and sisters. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Read that again. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Right. So, brothers and sisters, we were bought with a price. Remember, we told you the contract where you had to pay the father. This is what Christ did. He paid with his blood for you to be his bride. It lines up flawlessly, brothers and sisters. There had to be a payment. Christ paid it with his blood. We're going to show you 1 Peter 1 and 18. Christ paid the price for you. 1 Peter 1 verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. So you weren't purchased, you weren't bought with silver and gold. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. See, so we were purchased with what? The precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or spot, brothers and sisters. Remember, Revelations, we just read the marriage of the lamb. That's who we're marrying, brothers and sisters. That's Christ. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. See? So we were purchased for a price, brothers and sisters. So with this price, that means we must follow the covenant. We must follow his laws, statutes, and commandments, brothers and sisters. In order to get into this wedding, everybody's not going to make it. We're going to show you. We got about... We got... Three, four more scriptures. We're going to Matthew 25 and 1. Now that you have the understanding, this parable will make sense to you. We're going to read 1 through 13. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. 
and five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps, and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Right, so the virgins who are us individually were waiting on Christ. You read it from verse 1 again. Verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto, unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Right, so you had five wise and five foolish, right? While we're waiting on Christ on the path, some took oil, right? We all had the light. We all have the information. But who's going to do what they need to to sustain until Christ come back? This is what this is talking about. You must sustain until Christ come back, brothers and sisters, in order to make it into the wedding. Let's show. Verse 3. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. See, so while Christ took his time, they all slumbered and slept. They went back to sleep and said, yeah, I'll just go back in the world, you know. I know the truth. When Christ come back, I'll just come and I'll do what he say. You know, he's not coming back today. Right. I got time. Is what they say. Verse six. And at midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. So, right. You had five who prepared to be able to make it all the way. And then you had some who didn't prepare. They had the light, but they didn't do what they needed to sustain. So they're saying, they came to the wise and said, give us some of your oil so I can make it to the wedding. Verse 9. But the wise answered, saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Right. So the, the wise said, listen, I have to do what I have to do to make it to this wedding. I can't help you. You got to go back to the beginning and get it. Verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to marriage, and the door was shut. See? So those who are ready will go into the marriage with Christ. Everybody's not going to be ready, so you have to make sure you get your life together now before Christ come back. And you don't make it into this marriage, brothers and sisters. Verse 11. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Right. I don't know you. I don't know you. Verse 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. See? So brothers and sisters, we must act as if every day it's coming. Throughout the scriptures, the marriage metaphor is used to describe a personal, you know, covenantal relationship with the Most High. He is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. By extension, we individually are his brides. Individually, brothers and sisters, we are to prepare ourselves for the time that the bridegroom comes to receive us. Wherefore, be faithful, praying always, having your lamps trimmed and burning and oil with you, brothers and sisters, that you may be ready when the, when, when the coming of the bridegroom is, is here, is at the door. So when Christ is coming, when he's ready to go to the wedding, you must be ready, brothers and sisters. You must be right. We're going to go to Matthew 22 and 1 through 11. 
Now, the brothers and sisters, a marriage requires the entire consecration of one's time, talents, resources, and, you know, to his or her companion. The totality of one is, you know, everything that you have must be focused on this marriage. Everything you do must be focused on this marriage, brothers and sisters. Marriage is a covenantal lifestyle that results in oneness in a relationship wherein the partners are no longer twain, but one flesh. So everything we do is based on trying to get into this wedding with our husband, which is Christ. We're going to read 1 through 11, brother. Matthew 22, verse 1. And Christ answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. Look at how he keeps making analogies to marriage, brothers and sisters. See, when we didn't understand what marriage was, we didn't understand any of this right here. But now you know the protocols. First, contract. Second, betrothal. Third, wedding feast. Verse 3. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth the other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings and, and are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. So he told his servants, he told us, go tell people that he's on the way. There's a wedding. The food's already prepared. Only thing you have to do is show up. Well, you know, I got things to do tonight and, you know, I'll get there though. So this is what he's saying. He's saying he sent his people out to tell them Christ is at the door. The wedding is here. Get your garments. It's here. But some people are not going to follow it. Verse 5. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his farm, another to his merchandise. See, they made light. They said, I'll get to it. I got the truth. I, you know, I'll find it. I, I'm always there when things go down. Right before he come, I'm going to do what he say, and then, you know, I'm going to. Not going to happen. Verse 6. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burnt up their city. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready. The wedding is ready. But they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye, go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. See, and that's what we do. Everywhere we go, we try to tell people about Christ, about the truth of who they are. Come to the marriage. There's a marriage. Let's, all of us are invited. Get your garment. Let's go. This is, this is our job as servants. This is our job, is to try to bring people into the fold of Christ. Verse 10. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. So hold on. Now you have one brother who's not dressed properly for the wedding. Continue, brother. Verse 12. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So he's saying, why aren't you ready? Why aren't you ready for the wedding? And what are you going to say? You're speechless. You don't know why you're not ready. You don't have on the proper garment. How do you get that garment? Baptism. That's how you get the garment, brothers and sisters. So you, you come in, you like, he like, where's your garment at? you like, oh, I, I'm Israel. I'm Israelite. He like, Where's your garment at, though? You had all this time. Where's your garment? Read that again, brother. Verse 12. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? 
and he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let's show you how you get the garment. We got three scriptures, and we're going to close it out. This is how you get the garment, because if you don't have the garment, read that last scripture again, brother. Verse 13, Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right. Now let's show you how you get the clean garment. Isaiah 64 and 6. To show you. What is this marriage garment that he's talking about? How do you get this marriage garment? Isaiah 64 verse, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. All of our righteousness combined, including myself, is as filthy rags to the most high. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Right, see, so our garment is as filthy rags. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 6, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Go to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16, brother, and we'll end it off on Acts 22 and 6. So we're going to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. Our, you know, our garment is as filthy rags. Isaiah 1 and 6, 16. Wash ye, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Jump to verse 18, brother. Verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, said the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Though your sins be scarlet, brothers and sisters, you will be made white as snow, like wool. Read 16 again, brother. Verse 16. Wash ye, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. See, so in order for our sins that are scarlet to be made white as snow, you must wash ye, make ye clean. How do you wash ye and make yourself clean? How do you get that righteous garment, brothers and sisters? We're going to give you the last scripture. We're going to close out Acts 22 and 16. Because our, all of our righteousness combined is as filthy rags. He said, wash ye and make ye clean. This is your wedding garment. How do you get Acts 22 and 16. And now, why tarryeth thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. See, this is how you wash away your sins. This is how you cleanse your garment. So the brother who didn't have his garment on, you saw what happened to him. He, he's dragged off into torments now. So you, in order to get into the wedding, brothers and sisters, you must be dressed properly and the way you get that garment is through baptism washing away your sins admitting to the most high that listen i know i've done wrong you know and i'm going to follow christ's footsteps and get baptized the same way christ was to wash away my sins i know i've been wrong i want to admit that i was wrong and that i need change see once you do that that's humility that's you saying that i know i've been wrong and i need cleanliness i need to be clean so I'm going to follow Christ and go through the water. That's how you get your garment, brothers and sisters. So today we went into a lesson on the protocols of marriage, of a Hebraic marriage. We learned that, number one, you have the agreement or the contract where the groom makes an, a, a contract with 
the father of what he will give to take his wife his his his, his daughter's hand in marriage. Once you have that, you have the betrothal stage, which is about a year where the groom and the bride will be set apart, but the man would go back home and start preparing a place for his bride to come to. And the woman would be getting her garments together, talking to her family, you know, learning certain things because she was getting ready to separate. Now, after that, you had the consummation, which is the intercourse. And after the intercourse, you celebrate, which is the feast. And Christ just showed correlation into how we're his bride, how he's our husband, how he paid the price, which was his blood, and how he's coming back with a place that he prepared for us, brothers and sisters. So we bid you. We bid you, brothers and sisters, to get your garments ready and be ready for the wedding, brothers and sisters. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.